Today, I'm joined by Esther Jacobs. Esther is a digital nomad, an international speaker, and the author of 21 books. In this episode, Esther talks about how one can turn any idea into a business. She shows us how to gain financial freedom as well as location independence. Esther also teaches us how to find our skills that can be monetized and how to deal with the naysayers that stand in our way of achieving our dreams. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, be sure to subscribe and consider leaving us a review and sharing it with your friends. Welcome to another episode of In Your Best Interest, your personal finance podcast. I'm your host, Philip Müller, and today I'm chatting with the so-called no-excuse lady, Esther Jacobs, about how you can turn anything into a business. Esther Jacobs is an international speaker and author of 21 books. She was knighted by the Dutch Queen for raising 16 million euros for charity. Esther has given more than 1,000 keynotes, inspiring entrepreneurs and decision makers worldwide to take control and transform their challenges into opportunities. As a digital nomad, she has lived, worked, and played in over 100 countries. Esther has been on the European Survivor TV show and was featured in the international media over 500 times. Hello, Esther. It's very, very nice to have you on the podcast today. Hi. Happy to be here. You're a digital nomad, so I have to ask, where are you now? Actually, I just landed in Miami, Florida, uh, from South Africa <laughs> in a 40-hour-plus trip through Qatar uh, because they're closing the country to these uh, countries uh, in well, actually tomorrow. And my father lives here, and I wanted to visit him, so I made this grueling trip to be here, and I got in. That's that's wonderful. I like I was just on a trip as well, and it was uh, it's 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 a different world of travel than what it, what we're used to, right? Yes, it's very different with tests and nervous airlines and uh, very lax immigration, and yeah, it's, you never know what to expect when you think something is going to be easy. It's going to be difficult, and when you think it's going to be very complicated, it turns out to be really easy. Yes, absolutely. So, what what do you think uh, about? Like 2020, uh, I, I just, you know, when I when I went over your bio for everyone, it says you traveled more than 100 countries, you're a digital nomad. Um, I think somewhere I read you even got fired from your home country, the Netherlands, before. Right. right. So how, how, how did 2020 play uh, work out for you as a digital nomad? Well, I'm used to dealing with change. So, of course, it was very impactful and a lot of trips were canceled and a lot of things changed. But I just, you know, go with the situation as it is. So I actually turned my whole business model around because I, I can't do physical speeches anymore. So I turned everything into online workshops and I recorded some online programs. I wrote some extra books. So... Actually, it gave me the opportunity to be even more location independent because for presentations, I always have to go to an actual location and for workshops as well. So that determined my travel schedule. And now everything is completely online. So I actually feel even more free than ever. And I did continue to travel, of course, with the precautions and within the rules uh, I travel less, I stay longer in one place, but I still travel and that has a lot of advantages as well because now you can easily change your tickets 
Often the airports are empty, so traveling is a lot faster. The planes are almost empty. So like on my last trip, I had four chairs and I could sleep. So I try to see the opportunities instead of, you know, complaining or wishing it wasn't the way that it is. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, I think that's the one one lesson I think that anyone can take away from 2020 is that, you know, the there will be much more freedom going forward in terms of where you can work, even in bigger companies if you're an employee. Um, but that's something I do want to get into very soon when we talk about businesses and side hustles and you know uh, making money outside of your day job with you. Uh, before I do that, though, just for the audience to get a little bit better um, of a background on you, just in, you know, on top of me reading out your bio. If we go back even further, right, and we look at Esther growing up before you became a digital nomad and be on a TV show and raise money for charity. What was life like for Esther growing up? Ha, huh, that's an interesting question. I grew up in the Netherlands. Uh, my father was an entrepreneur. My mother was from a grocer family. So it's a very interesting uh, contradiction. Like my mother was used to, you know, turn every penny and really, you know, she wanted things to stay the way they were and my father came from a jewish family you know after the war a lot of people had not come back and he had this drive in him to you know to to grow and to discover and of course the two of them had to find a balance to do that and in that family i was raised uh, my mother you know always trying to fit in and my father you know taking me on trips and um, and and being an entrepreneur and and teaching me this entrepreneurship mentality and um I wanted to, I didn't know what I wanted to study. So I liked drawing. So I was thinking maybe going to art school and I like animals. So I thought maybe I would become a sea uh, biologist, a marine biologist, because I liked dolphins, you know, like many mm -hmm. young, uh, young kids. And in the end, I couldn't take a decision. And my father mentioned a business school. So I did the application and I was accepted. So I went to that private business school, you know, without knowing actually what I signed up for. And that was a big um, eye opener. I met a lot of people from all over the country, you know, very entrepreneur um, oriented and um That really opened my world. We lived in a in a small village in the Netherlands, and uh, yeah, in that university, um, yeah, I really I think I learned that whatever you want, you just pick up the phone or or the, look up the the internet, and you can do it instead of having to study or having to follow a protocol. Just improvising entrepreneurship, and I think that's what shaped me. And because I traveled so much, I was very curious. I learned that. Everything is relative. So if you think you're in a bad place, you know, you can always find a place that's worse. Or if you think that you're in a good place, you can always find a place that's better. And that's for personal development, for government, relationships, business. Uh, it counts for anything. So I learned that things are flexible and you can decide what you focus on. Uh, you can focus on something you have no control over and then you'll become frustrated and you're, you know, you may even burn out. Or you can focus on the things that you can influence and then you always feel in control. So that's how I decided not to work for a company. I've never worked for a boss, but I started entrepreneuring, doing little market research and traveling and 
you know, living from one little uh, assignment to the next, but it gave me a lot of freedom. And I got to know myself very well because I, you know, stumbled and fell many, many, many times. And in doing so, I learned something every time. So by the time all my friends had a steady job and were working on their career, I had not achieved anything like tangible, but I was really getting to know myself and I was collecting all these stories that later uh, were very useful in my career as a speaker and in writing books. Yeah, no, it's a super interesting story. I, I think, yeah, like you, you, like you said, you still learned something just because they had more tangible career path, right? You had invaluable experiences. And I think that's something that a lot of people nowadays uh, really go back to and look at when they look at work and especially with 2020, right? In 2020, a lot of people got grounded. You were not allowed to travel. You, uh, uh, you were staying home. Uh, you might get laid off from your job, right? So a lot of people are revisiting what life is actually about and understand that, you know, life on earth is finite and we don't have forever. Um, and so that I think that's why, you know, uh, I wanted to chat with you today because I think people are looking for ways to get that back, right? Or make the most out of the time, look at experiences and not go the traditional career path. But of course we still need to make some income. Uh, I talked to Abel, which who you know uh, as well. He actually introduced the two of us. And, uh, you know, he is location independent, retired already. Uh, but he did it very different, right? He started aggressively saving. He did have a career, him and his wife, but they started aggressively saving and investing and living off the investments as passive income, where I understand from your point of view, you, you were always an entrepreneur. You weren't able to put money aside right away from the beginning. So what was your path then? Like, when did you decide, you always decided to be an entrepreneur, but how do you make it work, right? From, a, from an income uh, perspective, it's still life and travel costs money. True. And uh, I must say that I started very simple. Um, after I graduated, I just started to do like little, you know, markets research or whatever. And I made like, I remember the first few things I made like 300 euros. And then I knew, uh, wow, I can travel in South America for a month. <laughs> so I, you know, when you quit your job, you're used to a salary and you have like a house and a car and, and, and uh, expenses. But when you're a student and you start with nothing, then all the money you make suddenly is an improvement. So I started with these projects and a little bit of consultancy and freelancing. I made some money and I always spent it again in traveling. Like I invested in experiences and not in possessions. And all those experiences made me get to know myself better and made me uh, more aware of my added value and how I could uh, contribute to others and they would pay me for that. And... Um, Basically, it grew from there. And at one point, when I was a, a well-known keynote speaker, I would earn money very easily. But my goal has never been to make a lot of money, but to have a nice life with as little effort as possible. So when I made a lot of money doing speeches, I just worked very little so I could have a good life. Um, and a lot of people go for like the big income. And I hear... Um, 
a lot of entrepreneurs talking about the six figure, the seven figures that they want to achieve. My goal has always been to have a nice life, to inspire people, to be inspired and not to have to worry about money. And you said you just said that traveling is expensive, but the way I travel is actually cheaper than most of my friends are living in Amsterdam or in other big cities. Uh, because I don't travel to Switzerland or London. I go to so the south of Europe, to Asia, uh, to South America. And life there is a lot cheaper. You can have a really good life uh, when your income is still in euros. So it's a completely different concept um, of you know making money and saving and working a lot to make a lot of money. And then you're too busy to enjoy it. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice arbitrage situation, right? Earning in euros and still being able to spend this uh, and have a better life in different places. Um, uh, yeah, you meet a lot of people. Obviously, we're, we're, we're located in Southeast Asia. And so, uh, you know, every time we go to Bali or, you know, places in, the, in Malaysia, you see a lot of people now taking up this uh, digital nomad life. Right. So uh, you must come across lots of, the, lots of them. But... Um, Let's say, for example, you know, I, I'm one of our listeners, you know, I had a, I had, I have, I do had a career, but I do want to make changes now. I think maybe I got laid off last year, right? Or maybe, you know, I feel in a rut because you've, you realize in 2020 that, you know, it's, it's not just all about work, right? Because if, for example, in Singapore, I feel like, you know, in 2020, we just worked all day, right? There was nowhere to travel. We're not allowed to get really in and out of the country at this, at this point in time. So the only way, the, all you can do is actually work, right? Yeah. I think a lot of people are like getting to the point where they're thinking about what we can do differently, but it's very difficult to get ideas, right? Of well, you know, turning into the business. Yeah, I think getting ideas is easy and you see a lot of people around you. But the difficult thing is what would work for me? And I think the, the first step is to, to do what I spend years doing without knowing it, uh, is getting to know yourself and getting to know what you're good at. Because when you're really good at something and you can really provide added value to others, often you don't know it because to you it's easy and to you it's obvious and you think that everybody can do this because it's so easy for you and trying to find this thing or this talent or this contribution that you can make that has a lot of added value to others and that is easy to you that's actually the best starting point uh, because then you know what offer you can make for your clients and of course there's a lot of businesses based on Uh, you know, anonymity and, and selling things online and, and things like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about finding your own talent and how to market that. And that could be being a consultant, being a coach, being um, making an online course, writing books, giving workshops, organizing retreats, being a speaker, being an expert. So first you have to find out what is it that you can do easily that's difficult for others. And one way to find out what it is, is to pay attention to the questions you often get. An expert or somebody who's really good at something will always get questions about a certain topic. But again, they're so obvious to you that you probably don't notice. 
So that's the first step to pay attention. What questions do you get and what is easy for you that is difficult for others? Oh, that's a really interesting approach. Uh, didn't Never really thought about that one. Um, so w w when you do your workshops or when you're working with um, um, your students on, on that, is there any kind of exercises that you make them go through? Yeah, it, it starts basically with the questions. And um, my workshops are an example of this. Uh, at one point, I got a lot of questions of people saying, hey, Esther, you're living this dream life. Uh, can you help me live my dream life as well? What do I have to do? And then when I get more people asking the same thing, I think, hmm, instead of answering the same question over and over again, why don't I organize a workshop about this topic, how to live your dream? And I found that the advantage is that you have like maybe 10 like-minded people together who not only get inspiration from me, but they also notice that they're not the only ones struggling with this or having this dream. And then they, you know, they form buddies and they can continue after the workshop. And then when I got a lot of questions about people who want to write books, I organized book writing workshops. So, uh, and another example, uh, I was at a conference um, a while ago and I go there every year and I give a presentation. And this year I decided I'm not going to determine what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to ask the participants. So I said, hey, I give a lot of presentations about book writing, about public speaking, about social media. Which one do you want me to uh, talk about this year? And then several people said, you know, actually, we would like to hear how you turn anything into a business. And I was surprised because for me, it's obvious and I thought anybody could do it. But it turns out how to turn anything into a business is one of my best running workshops because a lot of people want to hear the mindset and the examples and the inspiration. And they want me to listen to their situation and uh, help them discover what is their unique added va value that they can turn into a business. So just listening to the questions you get um, is really the first step. Okay. And then what comes next? Then you have to find out um, what your audience or your clients or your target group needs. Maybe they need uh, like a one-on-one -on -one consultation. Maybe they need uh, a checklist. Maybe they need uh, accountability, somebody who guides them through this process. Maybe they need to know what the process is they're going through. So by, and by defining your, your target group, uh, if your target group is people who have no money, it's going to be difficult to monetize it. So if, for example, I help people to write a book, if I target like people who've been through a disease or who have no money or are struggling with a lot of things, it's going to be very difficult to monetize it. So my target group is mostly business, like CEOs, professionals who want to write a book for their expert status. Those people have money they know the value that uh, having a book having published a book can contribute to their business like as a business card as a giveaway for their visibility and that is a good target group to focus on i give them exactly the same information that i give to like single mothers with no budget because i help those as well but my focus is on the the people who want to write a book who can actually pay for it 
No, it's super, yeah, very, very interesting. Um, and, and great, great, great stories there on how, how to get started. So let's say we found our passion. We think we have a business model, right? What are the, what, what comes after that? Like, do you help, do you still keep helping them on setting this up? Uh, is it usually online shops if they want to sell something that they're passionate about? Is it, um, like you said, writing a book? If I've never written a book, that's a, it seems like a very daunting task, right? Right. And then that's what I do. I make it um, yeah, sound reasonable. That's not the right thing. I make it attainable by uh, explaining the process and by showing them that I've done it. A lot of people have done it. And by explaining the process step by step. And I do that, for example, in writing retreats where I help people to write their book in one week. And this is actually the next phase. It's testing your offer your idea. Uh, don't build a website. Don't write a business plan. Don't borrow money before you have tested if your idea is actually viable, if your target group is actually waiting for this. And I think and this I is a big point, right? Because I feel every time I talk to people about, uh, you know, they're asking about starting a business, but they're like, oh, but I have, you know, bills to pay or I have children, mm -hmm. right? I have to yes. I have a family to take care of. Um, it costs me. It will cost me so much to even get started, right? And I think that that barrier of entry is actually a lot lower than a lot of people think, right? Because yeah, I, I think better. we can talk about the internet being helpful here nowadays, right? True, and it's even better to to start this while you still have your secure job or your income, even if you don't like it so much anymore. Only make the transfer when you know that your new idea can be successful and don't burn all bridges. Don't, you know, leave everything behind to start from scratch, but uh, test what you're, what you want to do and see if you can create a bridge. You can uh, start doing what you want to do from where you are now. So for example, when uh, I had this idea about book writing or when I have another idea, Uh, I just post it on Facebook and say, who wants to go to Mallorca with me to write their book in a week? Or something else I did, I found a cheap cruise from um, Spain to Brazil, three weeks on a boat. And I said, who wants to go on this cruise with me? And I'll give a different workshop every day. And to my surprise, 60 people reacted on Facebook saying, yes, 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 I want to go. Then I created a payment page and 15 of those 60 actually transferred the money. And only then I start arranging and organizing things. So uh, and the same for writing retreat. When I have people who want to go on a retreat, I organize it. But I don't book a venue and reserve a house and rent a car and plan everything before I know that people are actually interested in it. Hmm. Very, very good approach. Uh, yes, that's, and that's what I meant, right? So I think people need to just get over the fact that it doesn't have to be perfect at the beginning, right? You just That's need to get started. No, no and, and you know what? If you say, uh, I'm going to organize a, an online workshop about XYZ and nobody reacts, then fine, because then probably nobody has noticed it or nobody is interested in it and you, you haven't spent any money, you haven't spent any time and you can try it again, maybe with a different topic or with a different description or with a different price or a different date. And maybe it will work that time. And if it doesn't, then you know you have to change something. And asking questions is also really good. What if 
you know, I would do this or how, what is your biggest challenge in this topic or just asking questions. You, you interact with people and they will tell you what they need. That's yeah. often forgotten in these business plans and plannings, actually talking to your target group. Yeah. Talking to the target group, but let's say for example, you're, you know, you have a family, you have a couple of children, you're married, um, you're really fed up with your job, right? You still need to put food on the table you can do this on the side, but what if, what about the naysayers, especially family and friends, right? A lot of times there's people that will say, oh, that's not a good idea. Uh, I, I, it's too risky. You know, like all, all the usual objections that people get. And then, but, but they're family and friends, so they listen to them, but they still value their opinion, right? But how do you, how do you help people overcome those and, uh, you know, be true to themselves of what they really want? It's a really good point because first you have to deal with your own objections and insecurities when you want to step out of your comfort zone. And if you manage to overcome that and you're like, yes, I'm going to do it, then like you say, you have your friends and family and, and other people projecting their fears and insecurities onto you. And that's why it's so important to find like-minded people. That happens in my workshops, during my retreats, that people say, oh, I'm not the only one who wants this. And all these people here are saying it's possible and I do it this way and you can try this instead of trying to convince me not to do it. That's really an eye-opener. And nowadays you can find like-minded people anywhere about any topic. If you want to become a digital nomad, you can go to a city where there's a lot of digital nomads or you go to a digital nomad group on Facebook for the area where you live or where you want to go. Or you find people who are also interested in soccer or boxing or whatever your topic is. So find like-minded people who are already doing what you want to do and they can show you that it's possible. They can inspire you. They can give you tips. Uh, so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. That's also very important. And yeah, it's other... been done before, right? So yeah. exactly. And all those people who are saying it cannot be done or who are afraid, uh, acknowledge them that they have all the right, you know, to not want to do it and they can stay where they are, but you want to explore and you're going to learn something from it. Yeah, and I think this is the the, the, the big insecurity right and i think uh, the heightened insecurity that uh, also social media has brought on i uh, you know a lot of people are not don't want to share their full life on on social media or on instagram or on facebook right um how do you how do you help people overcome this do you think it's a must nowadays when it comes to doing remote business uh, because I think, you know, self-promoting is going to be important when you want to do speeches, right? If you have an online shop, you still need to do um, a, a lot of um, work and, you know, not in front of a camera, but, but managing on social media. How, how do you help people or how do you deal with it yourself as well? Well, I think what you're talking about is visibility. Uh, that's very important, especially in the, the time like now where we can't travel or be physically present. If you're present online, then you're still top of mind for, you know, your, your products, your services, but also just you as a person. And I think you shouldn't look at visibility as promotion because everybody's tired of people saying, buy my book, hire me as a coach, as a speaker, whatever. That doesn't work. But what does work is just 
sharing your expertise or your passion in your social media posts. Like, uh, hey, uh, I'm reading this book uh, and this and this is very interesting. Or, hey, um, I just uh, I was at a client and this client was struggling with this problem. So I showed him this model and uh, with this model, he found a way to, you know, to get moving again. Instead of people saying, hey, uh, I have a new client or, um, uh, hey, I have a testimonial from a client or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm eating a peanut butter sandwich. That doesn't contribute. But if you give the recipe of that peanut butter sandwich or if you're um, um, a personal trainer and you explain why you eat a peanut butter sandwich and how that could help your clients as well, then suddenly your social media posts have added value. And if people want to uh, dive into the topic that you talk about, you are top of mind because you always have these good tips and these, you know, real, really personal comments that they, the barrier is very low to approach you and to ask them, ask you to help them. Yeah, that that's 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 a good point to turn it around, right? And using that social media to your advantage here and becoming a thought leader in that field that you want to go into. I think that's a, that's a great point to make for people who are looking, uh, you know, in venturing out. And also what you just said, not just uh, showing all the nice things, but also showing your challenges. And don't be too honest, you know, when you, for example, when you have a day that you're really depressed, don't say, oh, I'm not good at anything, you know, I'm not worth anything or like, oh, I have a, a client. Oh, I'm so nervous. No, that's not what you want to share. But please also share, you know, the days that you that you don't feel like working or, you know, nothing is happening and you can say at the end of the day, Pooh, uh, I had a bad day today, but this was my strategy for getting through the day. And tomorrow, you know, I'm going to go for it again. And this is what I learned from it. Or this podcast helped me or, you know, this the meditation that helped me. So you show people that life is not always easy, but that any challenge you face, you find a solution and you share it with your followers. No, good point. For that, I wanted to go back a little bit then. Esther and see obviously entrepreneurship is a journey right lots of ups and downs it's yes. it's 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 a marathon it's not a sprint it's so, all about life <laughs> yeah exactly right it's it's the ups and downs it's part of your life so when was it when or when did you feel for the first time oh this is working or what was the product or what was the service you were offering when you know you probably tried a lot of different things as you said you were really young out of university you immediately became an entrepreneur what was, before we get into challenges, what was the mm -hmm. first time that you felt, oh my, this is working. I have something on my hand that works. I have a few examples, but one goes back a little bit further. Uh, I was 16. I was working in a snack bar at night mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, you know, a, a good looking young girl. So I had a lot of credit. So basically I was in the snack bar and I was hardly doing anything. You know, and all the guys around me were working really hard and I, I had never worked. So I had no idea. And then one day I was like, hey, if I'm here anyway and I'm standing here bored and everybody is, you know, working and cleaning and why don't I, you know, make the best of it and work? You know, why don't I do as much as I can in the time that I'm here? I'm here anyway. 
So I started cleaning and looking for jobs and, and things to do and tasks. And, and at one point, I found that the, the four or five guys who were working there were all standing still and looking at me. And they were asking, Esther, what are you doing? And I said, well, I figured since I'm here anyway, I might as well do something. And their mouths were open and they were looking at me like, you know, and for me, it was an epiphany. Like also when you have a regular job or or anything else, you can go through the motions and be there when you have to be there and, you know, sit out your time. But nothing is going to happen. It's not going to make you happy. It's not going to produce any results. And at that moment, I decided when I do something, I apply myself to it. Then at least you learn something, time goes faster, you know, you interact with people. And and I think I always applied that. And uh, for example, a few years later, I was in Curacao, a Caribbean island, where my father lived at that moment. And um, I was getting a fruit shake every day at a little fruit stall. And the guy was talking about, yeah, one day I'm going to start a franchise because everybody on this island eats unhealthy. And, uh, you know, I'm going to sell the fruit salads. And after a week, I told him, why talk about it? Why not just do it? So tomorrow you prepare a cooler, cooler box with fruit salads for me and I'll go around the companies and sell them. So at that moment, I became the fruit girl and I went to all the companies in the island. I sold the fruit salads. And after a few weeks, people were asking me, you're not just a fruit girl, right? So so what else do you do? And I said, well, I do market research. I had never done market research before, but I started to get some assignments. So the, the fruit salad thing led to the next thing. And I remember this was before internet and all the car rentals in the island had like brochures with like the cheapest uh, model and then the, you know, the, the, the more luxury model. And so there were always four or five models and everybody called them differently, economy, budget, whatever. So I thought, what if I collect all those brochures and put everything in an Excel sheet so you see how much the cheapest car is, how much the most expensive car is and whatever. I did that. And you know what I did next? I sold this Excel sheet back to all the car rentals. <laughs> they hadn't taken the trouble to look at the prices of all the other car rentals. This information was freely available, but by putting all the information together, suddenly I created value. Yes, that that, that was, you were the the... the... Before there was uh, comparison sites. Yes, yes. I just did it, you know, on paper, very uh, improvised. But I realized there was a need for it, not only for uh, tourists, but also for the car rentals themselves to make their strategy. Oh, super interesting. Yeah. So again, you you know, you've, you applied yourself and uh, you found solutions to problems, right? And I think there's more problems in the world than people think. You know, a lot of times, if you don't think it's a problem, it might still be a problem for other people, right? Yeah. And, I, and that's that's the that's the way uh, to really think about these additional income streams or finding the business you want to do. Yes, and I think another thing is don't think of it as a business because if you're looking to make money, all your thoughts and energy are going to be about money and your clients are going to feel that. Mm. So I often advise people to do something that they really like And often when you start doing that and communicating about it, somehow um, it will create an income stream. 
And I have a lot of examples, but one of the most recent ones is I was with a few friends in um, in the south of Italy, in Puglia, a year ago. And I really liked the, the countryside. And I, I lived in Mallorca for a while, and I think the south of Italy is very similar. Mm-hmm. So I kind of fell in love with the south of Italy. And we walked past a real estate agent, and I saw that uh, properties there are really cheap, like for 20, 25,000 euros, you can buy an olive or- orchard. Oh, really? So I was like, yeah. I'm going to do it. So two months later, I was back. Um, I didn't know anybody. I didn't speak the language. I just, you know, got the name of a real estate agent. I approached the, uh, the, the bicycle guide that we, you know, we did the cycling tour and the guide yeah. knew some farmers. And um, so I, I knew... Two or three people, I, I scheduled to see some properties. And of course, the first one I saw, I fell in love with. And I bought it on the spot. And for me, it was just a, a passion project. I wasn't thinking of making it into a business project. I mean, how can you make an olive orchard into a business project? Yeah. Of course, I was communicating about it on social media. A picture of me on the little house and the, the olive trees and I was so passionate and I was so happy that a lot of people offered to help me how can I help when can we visit can we rent a little house are you going to produce olive oil and I was like <laughs> oh shit, there's going to be an olive harvest so in November was my first olive harvest oh you've already done it in the same I've year I've already done it yeah, yeah. and uh, um I didn't know anybody. I had local people do it and I shipped all the oil to the Netherlands and I sold all the olive oil uh, for a price that's like five times higher than the local people get because people knew me. They wanted my olive oil, not just good olive oil, but my olive oil. And then I had to do, I had to pay for the harvest. It's all very expensive. And then the trees had to be maintained. So I was thinking, how can I finance this? And I had the idea to have people adopt an olive tree. Mm. So people adopted an olive tree and they pay like a yearly amount and they get some olive oil. And I have this money to maintain the trees. And now I'm, I'm re, um, renovating the house. And already a lot of people have said that they want to rent it. So suddenly this passion project is turning into a business project. Yeah. Oh, that's a super, super cool story. Uh, really enjoy. You know, I think I, I think hopefully the listeners are, are getting it as well, right? Just listening to your thought process about this project really drives home the message. Like, you know, be passionate about something. You do have to take small risks along the way, but you kind of like it. Kind of came to you, right? You kind of reinvented it. Thought about a problem like how do I maintain these and found a solution to it, right? Yeah, and everything is about communicating about it and being really authentic. So this idea about adopting a tree, I just floated it on social media. And then some people said, yes, I want it. And I created a payment page. And now, you know, it's an official product. And I I never thought about it before. Yeah. The local people people think I'm crazy. (laughs) (laughs) They have so many olive trees. And that's another thing. Over there, olive oil and olive trees are very common. They don't think it's anything special. Correct. But when Correct. you bring this this experience to a place like the Netherlands, it's very special to have yes. like a hundred year old olive tree, to have like freshly pressed olive oil, which 
is so different a taste than anything you buy in a shop. Uh, normally, it doesn't even get exported. You know, only the, the lower qualities get exported. And of course, the storytelling. I think storytelling is one of the most important things. Stories are free. Yeah. Storytelling is, you know, it doesn't feel like business, but it makes people want to follow you. And then when you do have something to offer, they will listen if you tell it in a story and not suddenly, you know, hit them in the face, buy my book or whatever. <laughs> That doesn't work in real life and it doesn't work online either. Yeah. No, I love that story. I think that has so many good values, uh, valuable information for people and it kind of sums up the whole concept we talked about before of how to start uh, or how to turn anything into a business, right? Even you driving through an olive um, yeah. uh, orchard and, you know, then buying part of it uh, afterwards. Uh, really, really cool. So before we um, close it up, I do would like to, to ask you a couple more questions about, you know, what you think, what your thoughts are on personal finances and how you kind of manage them, right? I know, um, when we spoke earlier and I mentioned uh, Abel and how he does it, it's very different from the way you do it and the way you spend your money on, a, on as well, right? You're looking for experiences, uh, not necessarily going to very expensive countries uh, and spend a lot of money there. But how do you think about personal finances? Like how do you structure your income streams um, as well as your budget or if you even have a budget? Yeah, I think my answer is going to surprise you. I don't think about personal finance at all. And I never <laughs> have. And people are amazed because I'm not nervous about it. I've been an entrepreneur since I was uh, 22, I think. Since always, and yeah. Since always. And um, I have learned to trust. There's always some money somewhere. And if you don't have big expenses, you know, you can always survive. And I've learned to trust myself that if I need money, I think of something that I can make money. Uh, for example, organize a workshop or organize a, a trip or a retreat. The only investment I have to do is to come up with an idea to put it on Facebook. And if I have enough, enough people participating, then, you know, I create some income. Uh, the other thing is that uh, I have always fortunately been able to make money easily especially as a speaker i was earning like three thousand euros for half an hour speech yeah um, and and i gave more than than a thousand speeches not all at that uh, uh at that amount uh, unfortunately but <laughs> it was very easy so i never i always had some extra money a little bit of extra money and i've never been afraid of big expenses like having to buy a ticket or having to repair a kitchen or whatever but i never had like money in the bank. I never had savings. I never had a big amount because as easy as I made money, also easily I spent it again or I didn't work for a few months or I didn't have any income for a few months when I was thinking of something new or when I was traveling. Mm. So it's always gone up and down. And then a few years ago, I, um, I, I sold my house that I was renting out And so you did make that investment. So that's, that, that is one of the investments you do do is real estate. Yeah, I, I didn't consider it real estate. I just, uh, together with my father and my brother, I had bought a house many years ago, oh, okay. like 20 years before. And um, when my brother left, I paid him 
I had another loan. So basically I had a mortgage and I had a house, but the, the value of that house almost tripled. So when I sold the house... Good investment. <laughs> yes, I suddenly had some money. Yes. So I invested that in an apartment in Amsterdam. And I found out that for a small apartment, I got the same rent than for a complete house just outside of Amsterdam. So I was With like... a lot wow. less maintenance. Yeah. So uh, less investment, less maintenance. I was like, hey, this is a good idea. <laughs> so I uh, tried to uh, get money together. I borrowed from some friends to um, uh, buy a second small apartment in Amsterdam. And I, I thought, okay, this is it. You know, I, I paid off the, the loans and I had a little in, income. And I thought, well, if necessary, I can always live in one house and then have the rental income from the other house. I have no mortgage. I'm done. Hmm. And then a friend pointed out, you could leverage the uh, assets that you have. You could get a mortgage on the houses and then buy another one, another apartment. And I was like, why would I do that? But then I made the calculation and it was actually kind of interesting. Especially with the interest rates being low, right? Yes. (laughs) And the rental income in the center of Amsterdam being extreme. Yes. But how do you get a mortgage when you don't exist? That was going to be my next question, actually, because they obviously ask for your tax returns. They ask for your income statements, right? Yeah, and I'm not registered in the Netherlands because I travel too much. So I was out of the Netherlands for traveling too much. I don't exist, basically. Plus, as an entrepreneur, it's already difficult to get a mortgage because you produce all these figures. And as an entrepreneur who doesn't exist, it's impossible. (laughs) But I like impossible. So I started talking (laughs) to people and talking to more people and talking to more people. And I found one agent who said, maybe... And by paying that agent and trying to find out, taking a risk again, we found a way to get a mortgage, not a normal mortgage, but um, uh, a, a real, yeah, like an investment uh, um, mortgage uh, at yep. a much higher rate, but still the rental income would cover and leave some extra money. So I had my, I bought my third apartment. And then I thought, hey, I can mortgage that third apartment and buy a fourth one. So every time I thought it was finished, I could buy another one. And right now I have five apartments in Amsterdam. Oh, wow. And this little piece of land in Italy. And really, I never, I, I never saved or I didn't have a lot of money. But once you get started, and of course, this house that tripled in value, that was really the start. Yep. And you can leverage if you do it smartly. Uh, also, I buy the smallest units, 30 square meters, uh, mm-hmm. but really like new and, and beautiful. And I have them furnished by a designer and take really good pictures. And that gets me very good renters. So I, I found a specific niche and I buy apartments in Amsterdam in an area that I know very well. Um, yep. So I, I make my own decisions. There's nobody who says this is a good area or this is good. I, I use my gut feeling, my intuition and my knowledge of the area to decide what I invest in. And this has created a passive income. Yep. Is last year with Corona, you know, I didn't have any presentations, uh, you know, n- n- no events, nothing was happening. And only then I realized that by accident, I had created a passive income stream, this real estate income stream that kept going throughout the Corona crisis. 
Yeah, and that is, I think, the, the, the big importance that I always preach to people as well, right? These passive income streams are so important in times like Corona. I know when, when, when we're not, before Corona, no one would have imagined there is Corona, right? Or yes. it will ever happen. But things happen and it's better to be prepared, right? And I think your, your story perfectly sums this up, that, you know, having multiple income streams, not being dependent on your day job only, where you could get fired from, right? Yeah. Um, give, gives you that gives you this level of freedom and like uh, you know the feeling off your back right of constant yeah. stress and financial pressure and again this whole real estate thing it didn't exist because i was looking for an income stream it's more i was interested i liked the entrepreneurship the investment and it's also something that you have to decide really quickly I would walk into an apartment and we're like 30, 40, 100 people, people wanting to buy. And I say, okay, I'll take it now at this price. And I don't need a mortgage. You know, I want it now. And five times it happened that I was the one that was able to buy it in an overheated, crazy market. So, you know, making plans and, and doing the calculations, making business plans, for me, that's not really the way to be an entrepreneur. You have to be responsible, uh, but you also have to be willing to take risks and use your intuition and, you know, be willing to make on the spot decisions and to just go for it. Yeah. And, and, and other than the real estate, which obviously worked out really, really well for you and you know, really also supported you through last year. Has there any other investments? Have you invested in the stock market before? Have you um, done cryptocurrencies? I, I guess, you know, where I'm getting to is you travel so much, right? And you, yeah. you probably meet so many interesting people in this community as a digital nomad. So there will always be opportunities or like people tell you about things that they are doing. Anything else other than the real estate? Or is that really real estate and um, investing into your own businesses uh, yeah, I, I hear a lot of people, for example, about Bitcoins. I think it's very interesting, but I don't have that knowledge and I don't want to go by other people's knowledge. Yep. So, uh, and the same thing for uh, stock, uh, for, for uh, the stock market. Um, there are so many different opinions and so many different strategies and it's very abstract. Like the stock market can collapse and then you have nothing, you have a piece of paper, not even. And with real estate, it's tangible. So even if the value drops, the, the property is still there. You could live in it, you could rent it out, you could whatever, you know, it's something physical. And wherever I travel, I see opportunities. I go to Sri Lanka and people are talking about a small piece of land in a real upcoming neighborhood and I can see the land and mm. I, you know, I, I wish I had more money because I see so many opportunities. So for me, it's mostly real estate because I can spot opportunities and I can make it happen by involving my own network and the experience I have. Plus, it's this multidimensional thing. It's not just on paper, a number that goes on and uh, up and down. It's something real physical that you can use in different ways. So for me, real estate gives me the most feeling of control. And, and um, for me, that's the best investment. No, absolutely. And I think that's great. And I think everyone has to find their own niche and own like what they're comfortable with in okay. terms of and investments. I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. Exactly. <laughs> it sounds like it. So uh, you, you really enjoy it because uh, the story you told about, you know, just the, 
way you search for the product, uh, the, the properties, uh, to all the way to like designing even the actual units for rent, right? All of this is part of the process. Part of the fun. Yeah, exactly. Well, Esther, I think you know this has been super, super interesting. Um, I think uh, the listeners will have learned so, so much about not only you know how to turn anything into a business. Uh, and the steps that they can take, but also, you know, hearing how you structure your personal finance is always very interesting from all the listener, uh, from all the guests that we have to hear because there's vast differences, but everyone found something that works for them. And that, that's, that's really the important story that for the listeners to, you know, find what you're good at, find what you're comfortable with um, to, to, to uh, chart your own path. Um, Esther, where can people find out more if they want to learn more about um, uh, your workshops or, you know, how can they learn more about, you know, getting help on a business idea? Is there uh, good places for them to get more information? Yeah, the easiest way is to go to my website, estherjacobs.info. There's a lot of free information as well, free downloads, uh, blogs, tips, um, and also the dates of the workshops and and the topics that I can help you with. And also, I post a lot on social media. So pick your favorite platform and look for Esther Jacobs or Esther Jacobs NL. And um, then we can get in touch and and share each other's uh, adventures. Oh, this is so good. Uh, yes, we will put all the links into the show notes as well. So for everyone listening that wants to learn more, um, they're going to be all in the show notes. So you can follow up with Esther, follow along her journey and see what she's up to over the, in 2021. I think there will be more travel probably ahead, right? Yes, yes. I never, I can't sit still. <laughs> Ten years, I've never been in one place more than four weeks Oh wow! So that that's a that's a good challenge, maybe for some listeners to see if they can outdo you. But that's a that's a very impressive number. Yeah, and I don't know if it's for everybody. It's just I need a lot of uh, like inspiration and 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 movement and uh, adventure. Yeah. Oh, good, good, good. Thank you so much, Esther, for your time. I know you just got to Miami and you're still jet lagged, but really, really, really appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you. Thanks. That's it for the show this week. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe and leave us a review. The reviews really help us and we love reading your comments as well. In Your Best Interest is hosted by me, Philip Müller, we're produced by Stashaway and we're mixed by Mo Ramley.